Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. We're your hosts, Naomi and Janine. And today we have a special guest with us, Jeff Ford. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist in a private practice in St. George, Utah. Jeff specializes in treating pornography and sexual addiction. He also works with spouses and family members that are affected by addiction. Jeffrey received his bachelor's degree at the University of Utah in psychology, and he earned his master's degree in marriage and family therapy at Purdue University. He has authored numerous workbooks for the Lifestar Network, articles and chapters on addiction recovery, and has spoken extensively about the effect that pornography and addiction has had on individuals and families. His favorite pastimes include being with his family and doing anything outdoor. So thank you for being here with us, Jeff. We're excited to have you on and talk to you today. Good. I'm glad to be here. You guys, your organization's wonderful. I just can't give you guys kudos enough for what you're doing for women. Thank you very much. A couple of weeks ago, we met with Jeff to discuss the topic that we wanted to talk about with you today. And we asked him if he had any passions or preferences regarding this. And I think that you're going to be really excited to hear what his answer is because it's actually Naomi and I's passion as well. And so we're really excited to have you on, Jeff, to discuss this passion that you have. And we're going to start there. Why don't you share with our audience what that is? So when we talked two weeks ago, you guys asked me what I wanted most to talk about. And it's so interesting because I've been doing this for, you know, quite a number of years, going on 18 years now and different times it's changed. But right now, the thing that I am seeing that is needed most for women who are in recovery, married to someone who is struggling with sex addiction, um, and this is not just me seeing this, but it's myself and many other of my colleagues as well is emotional abuse and gaslighting and manipulation and just recognizing and even clarifying when it just sitting with the woman and saying what you're going through is abusive and for them to be able to have words and a label to say oh this is what it is that's where the work starts and so that's what we got to talk about, and hopefully we can talk about it more today. Yeah, I think it has been something that I've recognized a lot in the groups that I've attended, just seeing this in so many different relationships where this addiction is involved in, and it's not even recognized as abuse. It's just something that is normal in their life, and they don't even recognize it until we start to go in and talk more about it then you start to get that label. And sometimes I think the word abuse is a scary word for women who are in the situation and they don't know how to deal with that or what to even do with it when they find themselves recognizing that abuse could be a part of their relationship. 
yeah, they've lived with it for so long. They're just so desperate to make things work. They're, they're the perfect victims for being completely fooled. That's happening. And a lot of times they don't even recognize like, oh, this is abusive. They know that it's crazy making because they're crawling out of their skin, but mm-hmm. they don't recognize it as abuse. And in fact, I'm doing a group right now with women and we like we in Lifestar, we definitely have parts of the workbooks and group process that focus on, we don't call it emotional abuse in there because we, when we wrote the workbooks, it wasn't something that was as well as understood, but I've stopped doing the Lifestar workbook and I got a brand new workbook on recognizing emotional abuse because every single one of the women, there are different stages of understanding what they're going through. And if, if we're not hitting that area, we're not helping them. So tell us what the process is that you go through with your clients to help women recognize the abuse in their relationships. The first step is, uh, and you guys know this from being in and doing group work, is when women have the chance to just tell their story, edited, where they give themselves permission to tell their story, what they went through. They're not worried about how their husband looks. They're not worried about managing that relationship with family members or church leaders or friends or anything like that. The first time that they can tell their story where they can actually articulate the things that have been going on inside of them for so long, then they start opening their eyes. They start like recognizing, wait a minute, there's a lot more going on here than sexual acting out. A lot of women just think, oh, if my husband just stops acting out sexually, everything will be okay. And I wish that was the case, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have to recognize that when you're in a relationship, when addiction is present, that individual has a severe problem with leaning into the pain of life. They become very sophisticated at shifting the pain. And so if you're married and that person that you're married to is sophisticated at shifting pain of life, guess who gets that? The wife. And women take the bait. They are so desperate to make things work. They don't recognize it. They just think, oh, I need to do better and I can do this better. And so they're open. it's open season for emotional abuse. So when women start telling their stories and other women are hearing that and they're like, that's not okay. And they're hearing themselves share about things. They start recognizing that things aren't right. And hopefully they're working with people who are savvy and understand who can help them articulate and clarify what it is they're going through. It's a slow process though. Yeah, that makes sense. Just because I think, I've I've been in group for a number of years and I don't think I've ever told the full story. Like you there you tell your story one time and certain pieces come out and then you tell it another time and different pieces come out that you didn't tell before and so I think there really is something to telling your story and not just once, but I think being able to to do it multiple times and to share different parts of that story that maybe you've never shared before. I think definitely play a role in understanding more about what you've been through. And one thing that's so important is most women experience this hesitance 
of like saying things really directly because they don't want to come off being judgmental or blaming. They're very sensitive. Like they don't want to clearly women are in group or in a marriage and family therapist office because of addiction. Clearly women are human too, but they're not in therapy because of their shortcomings or character defects or weaknesses or whatever you want to call it. Even though it's obvious that the reason they're in treatment is because of addiction and trauma, women are very hesitant to say exactly what's going on and put the blame where it actually needs to be. And so that's a process in being able to tell your story and really connect to your story without feeling like you have to protect your spouse. Just say, look, this is what happened. And I'm not trying, women, you guys know when women start, I'm not trying to say that he's the bad guy. I'm not trying to say that it's all his fault. Women are really sensitive that way typically. And it's a process of being able to really connect to what's really gone on in their marriage. Yeah, I like that you bring up that group is a good place to start because for me, it was easier to see it in other people when they shared their story than it was for me. But when women shared their story, it was like easy for me to identify it. And then I had to sit in my own life and come to terms with my reality about what was going on. And that was a difficult place to be. Just even admitting it can be difficult because we see these, our husbands often in positions of leadership within the church. We do see the good things that they do. And, but then to have this other side, it took me a little bit of time to get out of denial, I think, about the issue. There are things that happen in group that it just takes longer to happen in therapy where you see other women who are maybe a little further down the road and they have the courage to to talk about things. And women have told me it's scary when they hear a woman across from them share their story and they're like, that's just like me. She's using the word abuse. She's using this word called gaslighting. Like it really begins that process of breaking out of denial. And one of our workbooks that we do in Lifestar is called Breaking Out of Denial. It's hard because some women, they don't want to accept that. They want to be in denial because they're still struggling with, is this addiction happening because of me? Is it because of, of my deficiencies physically or emotionally? And so women are at different stages of breaking through that denial, but it's certainly so helpful in a group setting. It's, It's actually more effective, in my opinion, than this is not something you can read about in a book. You can, but it's just not as powerful as being in a group with other women who are going through the same thing at different stages and growing and having courage and taking new steps. It's a beautiful, powerful process. And once you do get out of denial, it's then coming to terms with, okay, now what? Now what do I do? How Now how do I move forward? And that can be a very tricky process as well, because that is fraught with a lot of, can be fraught with a lot of complications. Right. Holding that reality, learning how to set boundaries. That's the next, that's really the next step, isn't it? Once you see that reality, you're just like, wait, I don't want to be treated this way anymore. So what's my role in making that happen? And that's where women get to learn about boundaries and how they can set boundaries and 
group can support that woman with her boundaries and check in with her about how she's doing with it because it ain't pretty at first. So it's not pretty. Like um, breaking out of an unhealthy system is a messy process. For sure. Oh yeah. I know. I often, I often tell women who are just starting out that you're going to set boundaries to just be prepared because it's probably going to get worse before it starts to get better because you're breaking a pattern that you've had for so long and your spouse is, wait, what's happening? Why aren't you falling into these old patterns of, of behavior? Yeah, I call it the Coke machine analogy. Women behave like a Coke machine where their husband would just come and push the button for a Coke. He wouldn't even pay. Push the <laughs> button for a Coke and all of a sudden they get the Coke and they go off on their way. And then all of a sudden women start using boundaries. No, you have to pay. But when their husband goes and he pushes the button to get a Coke, what do people do when nothing comes out? And it gets messy. That's when the emotional abuse starts coming out the most. When women are setting boundaries, for instance, the boundary of I'm not going to have safety sex anymore. I'm not going to have sex unless I feel safe and connected. And when that boundary kind of comes down the pike, that's where a lot of messiness can happen and a lot of emotional abuse and manipulation and you're just so mean and and all these types of things like this is why I act out because you act this way and gaslighting that happens and women need a place a safe place in like group or therapy where they can go and take a breath of fresh air and come up for air because when they start setting boundaries it gets pretty difficult so if any of you out there who are listening to this and you're in that, if you're in that place where you're feeling the messiness of it because you're setting boundaries and you're learning how to do this, I just want you to know it gets better. Keep holding the line. You can do this. On days that you don't think you can do this, I want you to reach out to your group members, reach to your higher power, reach to someone who can help you hold the line. You haven't done these lines before and it's scary and it's hard, but you can do this. Try it, keep going, keep trying. Cause I know there's some of you listeners out there who are in this stage, you need this right now. Don't give up. Thank you. That's great. Great, helpful counsel. And I think it's really easy for a woman to understand what physical abuse looks like, but emotional abuse is a different ball game. So you had mentioned safety, and I would like to maybe talk a little bit more about, about what these patterns look like. Yeah, a lot of people, especially in this recovery community, they talk about, I, I don't feel safe in the relationship. Oftentimes that conversation is had and we all like it, but let's talk about what that actually means. So. If you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, you, and there's obviously varied levels of emotional abuse. Let's just start basic though. Emotional abuse will make you feel like I can't share how I really feel because if I share how I really feel, that might get used against me. I don't have this confidence that when I share how I feel that my spouse is going to hear me. They're constantly using it and turning it around and making it about them. If I share how I feel about my own personal like weaknesses, they might get used against me instead of I might what we hope when we are vulnerable and talking to someone about a part of our life that is hectic or messy or a weakness. 
we want support and love and, you know, encouragement. But all of a sudden I'm getting taken advantage of and being used against me now. That happens often in, in sex addiction where a person who's sexually acting out will try to equalize their wife's weaknesses with their, obviously that's like comparing apples to oranges, but you know, that's a sign of abuse that's happening. And so those are some signs that there's some emotional abuse that's starting to happen. Yeah. I noticed that there's a lot of entitlement. Have you also seen what would entitlement look like coming from that other end? Yeah. Especially when women recognize that they're having a pattern of safety sex, that's a big area where they aren't getting the benefit of connection or safety. And they're also noticing, wow, I don't feel more connected. I feel worse after sex or something like that. And they feel like the entitlement comes like it's their job in order to make sure their husband doesn't slip. They're having to provide that. That's a big sign of like, you're taking care of his emotions. So that's obviously not going to be healthy. So when you talk about safety sex, you're not talking about connected sex. You're talking about trying to manage the addiction. Is that what you're referring to when you talk about safety sex? Yeah. Safety sex is like, oh, if I don't have sex, he's going to act out or he's going to get mad. Or a lot of women notice that if they give their husband sex, like he's nicer. So that's like their process of creating safety for themselves. If they sacrifice themselves to achieve safety. Yeah. And then they're not feeling connected or fulfilled afterwards. That's a big sign that's happening and on an intimate level. And there's other signs of emotional abuse as well, like obviously name calling. One of the big things that I see is husbands that are always putting their wife in negative light. Sometimes when I'll have a husband come into a session, it's the first few sessions, and I'll just listen as they tell their story. And I'll just ask the question, so help me understand why you feel like I'm here to talk about you and what you're working on. Help me understand like 15 or 20, and I time it because it's that prominent. I say, help me understand how for 20 minutes, like every time I'm trying to talk to you and what you're wanting to work on, and all you can do is tell me everything negative about your wife and how it's all her fault. Help me understand that. And what is the response you get? A lot of times these guys, they didn't even know it. But as a wife, if you're all too used to feeling like, oh my gosh, like every time we talk about something in our marriage, like an argument or something we need to work on, it always goes back to being my fault. That's a big sign right there. Yeah. I think that in that respect, that's where all those terms come in. Gaslighting and switchers and, yes. and things like that. Yeah. They're blaming there. And that's where the entitlement comes in as well, Naomi, where guys are used to their wife taking the blame and it becomes a big pattern where something goes wrong and the wife has to take the hit for it and make everything better. And these men, they do not even understand the basics of accountability. And one of the things that I teach the most is emotional accountability. 
like guys understand physical accountability, but emotional accountability is, is like, what? Like they don't get that. And women are taking accountability. And the switcheroo is that's where, unless the husband learns how to take emotional accountability, they will continue pattern of switcheroos. And a switcheroo is essentially just putting the, the blame back on the wife's shoulders. So how do you teach that process to the men that you work with? So the big thing that I start doing there is just like helping them understand, okay, physical accountability is, okay, you went and you went to a therapist, you went to a group, like when things come out for the first time, guys are pretty good. Oh my gosh, I've made a mistake. They'll go to their church leader or their parents or a therapist and they'll do these behavioral things by going to a meeting or something like that and they're pretty good about doing that and then they think everything is better and that's where you differentiate okay you're doing really well with the behavioral thing but the emotional effect of this like for instance when your wife if you use your smartphone to act out every time she sees you on your smartphone she's going to definitely feel triggered and afraid. And in order for you to be accountable, like you may be doing nothing on your smartphone. You may be reading the scriptures on your smartphone and that's fine. But emotionally, you take emotional accountability by saying, Hey, I can see that you're upset. You're really triggered right now. The reason you're triggered is because I've acted out on this smartphone before And you're probably worried and wondering what I'm doing. And you should never have to worry or wonder what I'm doing on a smartphone. And you're feeling scared and upset and confused right now because of me. And that's my fault. That is nothing you did. And helping them learn the steps of emotional accountability is a big, that's a big step in in the right direction. There's different levels of emotional abuse. Some couples are ready to do that. Some couples are not like, it's not safe enough. Like separation is for some couples, like there is no safety and they can't even work on learning to take emotional accountability because they're not even in a safe enough position to do that. I'm sure you guys experience that with a lot of the ladies. They're not even remotely ready to take those steps. Oh yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a great example that you gave to help women recognize what that emotional accountability looks like. Yeah. And ladies, let your husband sit with it. I just want you to know you're not helping them by handling them with kids gloves. If you're wanting a husband and not another child, let your husband sit with the pain. They can do it. If things are going to get better, they need to sit with it. They need to sit with like the uncertainty of things. Again, I just want to encourage you to let them be accountable. Don't rescue them out of it. Yeah. I think that was one of the things that I learned pretty early on is recognizing that Cartman triangle, right? The victim, the rescuer, and the persecutor, and trying to figure out how to get outside of that triangle because that was the communication style that we lived with for years. And it's not easy to do. And that's what I tell a lot of the women that I'm connected with. It is really hard to do when you've been in that for a long time. And it takes a lot of practice. And for me, it took texting. I had to text so that I could 
read the text, take time to respond if it warranted a response or if it was a victim statement, just being able to let it sit with him and let him be there by himself and not try and rescue him, save him, any of that. But it's hard when you're in person early on to do that when that's been a pattern for so long. Yes, it's very hard and recognizing. And Janine and Naomi, is it okay if I share an experience like bring a little bit more clarification about what emotional abuse is. I don't know if you guys remember, I shared with you that time I was out, I was mountain biking and my wife was running. Is it okay if I share that with, just to help people understand a little bit? Because oftentimes ladies start learning about this and they think it's only emotional abuse when it's connected to the, the sexual addiction. And so they miss like how universal this is, how much they're swimming in it. And so as a professional as a therapist, as I was starting to notice this pattern, and I read this study about a thousand couples that got divorced and they had five years sobriety. They had five years of sobriety. So we're like, wait a minute, they're not, they're getting divorced. They've gotten sober. So what in the heck's going on here, folks? Like they're supposed to get better. And the reason they didn't get better is because of the emotional abuse. So I'm trying to, on a kind of a theoretical like position, okay. What's going on here? And so I was with my wife and our, my daughter and her friend, and I live out in the desert. And so this was in July. And so if you live in the desert to go mountain biking, you'd have to do it at nighttime. So I had planned to do about 14 or 15 miles and my wife was going to run and my daughter was with her friend. They were going to you know, run with my wife, but a little bit further back so they can have their own space. And So that was the plan. And I got into my ride and at some point around eight miles or so, I can't remember exactly, but I got a flat tire. I had to take my bike back to the car. And as soon as I got back to the car, my, my wife, she called me and she said she needed me to come. She needed some things that she didn't have with her. So I rushed back to her. And then when I got there and I helped her, we got a message from my daughter and her friend that, oh my gosh, we're scared. We're on the wrong trail. We we think we just heard a rattlesnake and, and there's rattlesnakes out there, but they're probably, you know, being a little scared. And so they were worried that they were lost. And so I had to go and help and find them. And I got everybody back together. We were walking back to the car and I was really reflecting and thinking about this kind of, whoa, We've got couples that are sober, but they're still getting divorced. How does a person who deals with this addiction handle with this type of an evening? This is where emotional abuse happens. Emotional abuse happens because the wife is now getting grilled. Why didn't you plan better? Why didn't you take care of this before you set out on your run? So all of a sudden the marriage is in chaos. And when the daughter calls, like everything is fine you're on the right trail. Just keep walking. You guys are being big babies. The, the essence of emotional abuse is a failure to hold the most other people's emotional reality in a sensitive, empathic way. And if you talk to women who are married to an addict, they oftentimes don't feel that their spouse can hold their emotional reality. And in fact, Not only they don't feel like they can hold it, they feel like they're punished for it. And so they have to keep it hidden. And ladies, if you're out there and you are connecting to some of this and you're thinking, wow, I 
my husband can't hold my emotional reality. I actually don't even, it's better off that I don't even tell him. That's a darn good sign that there's some emotional abuse happening. And I can't tell you how severe it is because again, it's on a spectrum, but that experience of kind of going through that night where working with my wife and my daughter and her friend and just thinking about how would someone that is struggling with this addiction handle that, that was one night that could have turned into a fiasco. If you take that one night and you repeat it day after day, women get the message loud and clear that there is no room for how you feel. And don't you make my life more difficult by sharing it. And that's abuse. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that because that certainly was the situation in in my story that sexual sobriety was happening but there still was something amiss in the relationship and I would have never really connected the dots had it not been spelled out for me that there's this additional component that's associated with this problem and that's the abuse aspect and I would have to say that it was very difficult for me to even kind of pick up in my own relationship. Do you consider neglect abuse? Of course. Yeah. That's probably another of the huge facets because we have to keep in consideration where just a little brain 101, when an individual is sexually acting out, that relationship center of their brain is essentially turned off. And if they're sexually acting out regularly, then what you also have is developmental delay. And because of that delay, they're not having the developmental experiences that will give them what we call awareness. Like awareness that, oh, if I just told my wife that I looked at pornography and masturbated and blamed her for it, she probably is not going to want to have sex with me right after. She's probably going to feel like she got hit in the gut. And how many times have you heard that story or been through it yourself where you hear about something like that and all of a sudden this woman is having sex to make him feel better? That's a very common thing. The awareness that these guys have is so low because of the developmental delay, it ends up being very negligent. They can't help or be sensitive to feelings that they are not aware of. And developmentally, they're delayed. So they're just, of course, they're going to be negligent because they don't have any awareness of it. Yeah, I guess I looked at the situation where these patterns of masturbation were so common that he had not learned really how to connect with another person because he was connecting with himself all the time. The chemical releases that were occurring during masturbation were just creating a connection to himself, in essence. I, I don't know if that's you know, a proper way to really look yeah, at it, you, the way I looked at it. Yeah, you can look at it that way. And without that counterbalance of another human being, that relational part of the brain literally shuts down. And you know, we have studies that show that it shuts down for like up to 110 days. So they're not getting the relational, emotional development And so women often feel very alone. They don't feel heard. They don't feel that their husband understands the effect of what their actions have done to them. 
And so that's a huge part of emotional, you know, abuse is there's just negligence going on a chronic basis. And here's something I want to point out, because as we talk about emotional abuse, one of the things I tell the couples that I work with is that nobody needs to be the bad guy for your marriage to heal. And sometimes that marriage doesn't heal. And the best thing for it to do is to end in, in divorce. You know what I mean? The biggest reason that emotional abuse is happening is because of developmental delay. These guys aren't bad guys. They are definitely having to feel the weight of their addiction and be accountable for their addiction in a developmental way that the time that they spent in that addiction was lost time in development. And so handling relationship situations and emotional experiences, developmentally, they're not ready to manage that. And that's why they need groups so they can practice doing that and recognizing that. So in that process where you're trying to teach them how to recognize and hold emotion, how do you go about teaching that process? For the men? For the men, yeah. So the first stage is learning accountability. And depending on where that couple's at, because some couples are not in a place where they can do it together, it's just not safe enough. There needs to be a lot more safety that's created and a, a lot more work that's done to get to that place. But if, if you're in group, helping guys get tied into how they are feeling, processing if a guy has a slip, helping them learn accountability for it. One of the things that I start asking guys, like when your wife opens up and shares anything emotionally, number one, that's a good sign. But do you catch yourself lashing out, checking out, acting out? doing any of those things. When your wife shares something that creates discomfort for you, how do you handle it? A lot of guys will check out or they'll go into anger or they'll go into blame. All those are sophisticated ways to not have to deal with that pain, to put it back on the wife. I call it, are you standing in the fire with your wife? Because she's feeling that pain. Are you standing in it with her or are you popping out of it like popcorn and blaming her for it? So helping guys see that. And they recognize, hey, you realize your wife, she wouldn't be all nervous and scared right now if you had never done this to her. And they get that. They don't know how to manage all the feelings that come with that. And so that's where they get to learn to sit with it. And ladies, this is where you, part of your recovery is letting them sit with it and not rescue mm -hmm. them from it by making it all better so that they don't have to figure out how to deal with these emotions. Okay. We are going to stop this episode right here and give you some time to digest what we have talked about so far. And we will pick up the conversation again next week where we will finish our interview with Jeff Ford. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.